It is my distinct pleasure to welcome our guest preacher this morning. As he takes his last sip of coffee, I would like to invite Archbishop Joseph D'Souza up. I have gotten to know Archbishop D'Souza through Leah, who is a deacon in the Anglican Church sitting over here. Leah actually has a table in the front. Um, I invite you to stop by on your way out. It is for Good Shepherd Anglican, and so Leah has done work with them for many years. Archbishop D'Souza is the Archbishop of Good Shepherd Anglican in India, and we are so excited to have him here today. I have to look at my notes because his bio is very long. Um, I'm going to share, I'm going to keep it short. I am going to. But he is the Archbishop of Good Shepherd Church of India. He is a human rights advocate. He is the founder and president of India, of All India Christian Council and the founder and president of Dignity Freedom Network. And we are so delighted to have you here with us this morning. I invite you all to extend your hands with me and let us pray over Archbishop D'Souza. Jesus, we love you, and we are so thankful to be a part of this global body, the Anglican Church, Lord. It is a gift to have Archbishop D'Souza with us this morning, Lord, and we just pray over him as you bring this word to us through him from the book of John, Lord. We also pray over Archbishop D'Souza and the good, good work that he is doing, the many people, the many clergy, parishioners, churches that he shepherds, Lord, and also his deep passion and work for justice, Lord. We pray your protection over him. We pray, Lord, that you continue to use him as one of your ministers, Lord, and as a prophet in this world. Let us, Lord, today hear what it is that you have for us through him. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. And uh, thank you, Father Peter. Do they call you father or pastor? What do they call you here? <laughs> you know, we've got all kinds of Anglicans. You know that, right? High Anglicans, low Anglicans. But it is great, as Kimberly said, to be part of the Anglican family worldwide. And... Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you for the last few days I've had here with uh, Jonathan and his team. I, can, I know that he's here. He's going to come and lead some time of worship for us. Uh, I bring lots of love and greetings from the Good Shepherd Church in Asia, primarily from India. And uh, we, are, we are Anglican, and our story is quite unique. Uh, we don't have time this morning to talk about our story. Uh, we're going to talk about the Jesus story this morning. But I do bring greetings to you uh, from, from India and from all of the uh, Dignity Freedom Network bodies. Isn't it interesting that an Anglican denomination or Anglican body has created a global movement called Dignity Freedom Network. It was, it was originally Dalit Freedom Network, then we changed it to Dignity Freedom Network. And, and the reason we changed it is because of the journey God has taken us and the deep, deep conviction that humans have God-given dignity that has been robbed of them, that has been exploited, uh, that has been eroded, and the part and, the, and, and, and the, one of the things God wants us to do in salvation work is to restore the God-given uh, dignity of all humans, regardless from where they come, who they are, etc. 
Now, in the passage that we read, I love our Lord. Um, we meet here to the communion and all, and in line with our ancient tradition to, to focus on Jesus Christ. And here the Lord is in defense. He's defending his, his ministry in John uh, 5, uh, beginning from verse 19. Now, before I go into what he actually says in his defense about who he is, etc., you need to know why he is defending. Uh, what is he defending against? And there are three statements I'll make this morning about Jesus. You can write it down. You, I, the kids will probably remember it without writing. Uh, what did Bishop D'Souza say? Well, Jesus, number one, Jesus did good things. That was his crime. He broke the Sabbath laws and allowed his disciples to eat. He broke the Sabbath law and he healed the sick. And he went about doing good. If you and I were living around Jesus, I have a, I have a feeling that you and I would not have the same perspective that we may be possibly having in our head about what Jesus was and what Jesus was doing every day and what was motivating him for the three and a half years we are told his story. I'll tell you what, when Jesus got up in the morning, he got up to go and do good in his society. Acts of goodness, acts of mercy, acts of justice. That's what he was about. So you as a Christian, when you get up in the morning, are you thinking, what, what good can I do today? What, what good I, can I do to somebody today? There's so many hurting people, so many destitutes, and you know, we've got a world in crisis. I mean, uh, we all know the world definitely has not become a better place after the year 2000. It's become a terrible place, Right? Starting from 9-11 on, it's been downhill, downhill, and every part of the world is downhill, and during the COVID time, we all went downhill together, around the world. And you have a sea of humanity out there who wonders whether there is God, whether there is salvation, anybody cares for them. I was delighted while I was driving out here the, when Leah told me, you know, there are some churches here who go out on the streets, you take a lot of homelessness, and you go and take care, and, and in fact, you go and do communion with them. I said, man, this is my kind of people. Break the rules. Go and do communion out there. Don't worry about all the, whether the rules are kept or not. We believe in baptism, but it doesn't matter if somebody believes in Jesus, wants to receive a communion from us, we give it that communion. I live in a non-Christian country. 200 million Muslims, Hindus. I have sometimes devout Muslims coming into the church in our cathedral. And they are so touched. And I know we had this case and everybody was watching me. I'm sure everybody in my church was watching me. Thankfully, I did not get the kind of flack that Jesus got when he was alive. So they're all watching. I'm going to... And this devout... Muslim family, come, husband, wife come up in front. I've known them. They've been hearing us, etc. 
and suddenly, all of a sudden, they're coming in front and they want communion. So everybody's watching me. Now, I, I, some of you may think I'm a heretic. Fine. Because I'm concerned that that Muslim family finds Jesus, finds Allah. So I didn't refuse. And now, there is a connection. I said, you're welcome here. If you see the communion as a means of getting into my community, then yeah, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, communion is, the Holy Eucharist is very, very precious part of our tradition. We don't give it to unbelievers. We don't give it as a matter of practice. But you know, sometimes God comes in and tries to shake you up and put something before you, and you think, oh, everybody's watching. The Hindus are watching. The other Muslims are watching. What do I do? Is this a church that says Jesus is for you? Jesus is for you too. Jesus went about doing good things. You know, my life and my ministry and my work, those who know me, got turned upside down when 25, 30 years ago, the, the slaves of India, who have been slaves for nearly 2,000 years, came to us asking for uh, salvation. Not salvation in the way we understand, but redemption, freedom from slavery, freedom from their chil- uh, for their children, empowering their women, and all kinds of things. And, and one of the things that they asked us to do, which today is becoming more and more prominent, right? I was telling yesterday, the other day somebody, as an evangelical group, and we as Anglicans, and we should take, not me, but we should take the credit for our obedience. We were the, one of the first ones to get off the blocks to engage in whole-scale justice work without politicizing it, but in the name of Jesus and in the, for the sake of the kingdom. We did that. And now, of course, we have our opportunities to impact and speak churches and groups all over the world. But one of the things that they brought to us was we have human trafficking or slavery of girls and women in the millions. And these millions of women want to be rescued, want to be helped. They want good to be done to them. Will you do it? What do you do when you are part of a system and a culture that requires your young girl pre-puberty is offered to the gods as a sexual slave? Do you go and intervene there or do we sit back in our church not knowing the Lord whom we shall worship, worship and receive from in his body and blood who went about doing good and acts of justice and they hated him. It was not that he was breaking the Pharisees, but though they said they were very little bothered about Jesus keeping the Sabbath or not. They, many of them were not keeping the Sabbath. Don't, don't believe when people come to you with some legalism. What's bothering them is an act of justice and an act of goodness pricks their conscience like nothing else. And then they want to react. They want to attack. They want to go after you. That's what happened to Jesus. And so, yes, we, we went and we did. We are 20 plus years on. We live, we're working among a belt that has uh, 250,000 uh, dedicated prostitutes, ritualized prostitutes, and their children and their future is at stake. And we have been working, and God has been leading, and our women have been doing it. My job as a shepherd is to empower the women to go and do it and release. And you know, 
the life of every girl we have freed and seen and grow, prevented or freed or rescued, nothing, nothing on this earth can give you value and satisfaction than even the freedom that the gospel brings to one girl child. One girl child. That's the power of what Jesus, so he had to break rules to do this. So it's not easy, and so Jesus knew, man, this guy, I mean, they, they, they don't do good, and they won't allow, don't want to allow me to do good. They want me to keep religion, a, a facade of a religion. And this is, not, this, is not my, this is not the kingdom of God that I've, I've come to bring. The kingdom I've come to bring uh, transforms society. It's not transaction. It transforms society, transforms people's lives. So, Jesus did good all the time. All the time. It can, good can be done by children, adults, everybody, all the time. And in that good, uh, acts of justice, act of mercy, forgiving the prostitute, not judging the sinner, there's a lot of stuff there. But Jesus' front-end life was about doing good things. Second reason, and it says here, why the Pharisees were mad about him is that he made himself equal to God. So the second thing that we say is, Jesus is equal to God. Simple. Jesus is equal to God. Now that's a controversy that has not left the Jewish world. It has not left the Islamic world, etc. We don't need to go into all of that stuff. But you know, when Jesus as he goes to the passage and he tells who the son is, he has all power, he does this, and he doesn't do anything without the father telling him, without his seeing. Basically saying, what I do on a Sabbath day and when I do good and I do justice, it's what I see the father doing, and so I do it. But you're questioning me, who, who do you think I am? And I want to tell you, I am equal to God. I am the son of God. All divinity is with me. And as I've grown in my faith over the years, this aspect of Jesus' statement about who is, who is, try to, try to track with me, okay? Especially the adults, try to uh, uh, track with me what I'm saying. Something remarkable happened when Jesus came. God became man, God came in the human form, right? No, all the reincarnations, that's, that's not the same thing as the triune God, the great God decided to become human. And suddenly in history, my brothers and sisters, here is what I want to say to you. When I say Jesus is equal to God, simply this, we worship a God-man or a man-God or a human God. Please, please let your minds and heart get hold of this. Don't undo what God has done by giving us a God that has been fleshed. God that has been tabernacled into our world. I remember we had a seminar, a forum with uh, the great N.T. Wright about a year ago with global church leaders, and he made a comment about Jesus and equality with Jesus. And uh, 
Then a question came to him. And he said, yeah. What do you think when, when we die and we go to be with Jesus? Or in the resurrection? Or at least when you, who, who, who do you think is there? When you think about Jesus. Am I doing something wrong? Father Peter? No. Because I see Kimberly going there and somebody else going there. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm always nervous uh, in, in foreign audiences. If I, am I saying something that has triggered some uh, people out there causing some problem? It happened to me recently in England. I was speaking in a service and it was also, they had an online service and I said something which I should have explained, but one person in their online service got that thing and there was a big dialogue and two and three went there and they were on the laptop and I'm thinking, what have I done? What have... They said, don't worry. Westerners are funny. <laughs> they fight about everything. So, argue about everything. So, Peter, sorry. So, so, the, the question is, when we die and you go, who are we going to see? We are going to meet the God-man, not a ghost. Jesus is forever human, just as he is forever God. He was God forever, but after the, what, what does it say to you? What does it say to me? Oh, the dignity of being born human. You are precious. You know, Jesus, as it is the Hebrew literature and culture taught man is made in God's image. And the Christian faith gives humans great dignity as image bearers, right? But Jesus lifted, up, lifted it up to the end plane by becoming human. Suddenly we realize... Man, we, we are something. God can become us. So we can follow this. And this, by the way, is a message that the world has not fully grasped. The, the God-man Jesus. And that's why they feel God has checked out on this world. He is not, not connected to our problems of homelessness. He is not worried about our culture wars, our gender fights. No, no, no. He, he knows all of that stuff. He is a God-man. And Jesus was not going to compromise that. And so he defended who he was and his sonship. Okay? You get that? Okay. Third thing. You have heard it said before. But I want to say it again. Jesus is the life-giving God. Is the life-giving God. One of the great burdens and troubles and mysteries of human life is death. And the atrophy of all things. Anything that's born, dies. even the stars die. You know, and death, we cannot glorify death. Death is horrible. Death is evil. That was not God's plan for us. That was not God's plan for the human race. But sin entered, the devil entered, and death became a part of life. And not just physical death. You, you have to just read the papers, 
watch the movies, and you see death is everywhere. Not just darkness, but death. And, and the craze in our world to have something that will not die. To have something that's a superhero. Beyond human limitation. The reason you and I, we have a confession and all, the reason you and I are part of the Anglican Communion or the conservative side is because we have a profound experience and understanding of the life of God that Jesus has given us, right? He has given us life. He has given us life. That means my spirit has the assurance that I will not die. Not, not only that, I have the assurance that I will be raised from the dead. So here is Jesus saying, I will raise whoever I want from the dead. I have that power because I bring life. The only antidote to death is life. Is life. And so while death spreads around us, raises its ugly head, and humans use the weapons of death to destroy each other, we, as the Lord's followers, we, are the, we who say we follow Christ, we need to be the embodiments of life givers. That's why abortion becomes a problem for us. You understand that? Because we are about life, the preservation of life. Life is valuable. And Jesus came to give us life. Huge, hugely. And you know, and I have to say this. When the life of God, in, in John's gospel it says, no? The, the darkness cannot overcome the light, right? Light has come into the world and darkness cannot overcome uh, the light. I, I, I have, as I watched and I work with persecuted Christians and martyrs, and uh, I have to say, Death cannot overcome the Christ life. No way. And I've seen some stark examples of this in the last 20, 30 years. I think of my, and I have friends who work among them, my Ira uh, Armenian brothers and sisters, when the war and the ISIS and everything began, and they were massacred, and I saw when those butchers with their knives put those Armenian Christians in front, asked them to recant, they refused, and they were chopped. And that death did not conquer their life in Christ. They would not turn their back on Jesus because life had entered them. Very, very stark uh, reality. I don't know how many of you know, right now in my country, Along with the stuff, other stuff we are doing, we have the ethnic cleansing going on of the Manipuri Christians. They are called Kuki, the Kuki tribe. And for the last three months, right-wing Hindu groups uh, have started an ethnic cleansing. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. And because we are concerned about women's rights, what they have done to my Christian Kuki sisters and women is unforgivable, unforgivable. 
So I'm going to raise my voice, I'm going to fight, I'm going to do whatever, I, except take up arms. Because that freedom Jesus does not give me. So, so what, what are they doing? They are going to village after village, cookie thing, burning their churches, 400 churches burned down, 60,000 cookie Christian men and women and children displaced, hundreds of cookie women raped. And then I'm, you know, I have bishops in that area, and I, I, I want to hear how are they doing, how's their faith holding up, etc. And I'm told their faith is holding strong, but they need help. They need encouragement. They need people to come alongside them. So I say, wow, what do we do? What can we do? We want to do relief. We want to go there. We want to send people there. How can we, how can we make this uh, problem known to the world, which we are doing? And we know every time we do this, we are putting our neck on the line. You understand what I mean? When you expose evil and you allow the life of Christ to fight the death that is in our world, the death retaliates. There's no such thing of an uncontested spiritual fight in this world. We are naive when we think, I can do discipleship without cost. Everybody is going to like me. No, everybody is not going to like you. They did not like Jesus, they're not going to like you. They're going to challenge you. And here Jesus is saying, I bring life. And the dead will hear my voice. They will rise from the dead. One day, if we are still, if Jesus does not come in our lifetime, we will be cremated or buried or whatever. When his voice comes back, we will hear. And we will rise to our new bodies because that life, we are just with Jesus, that life is still with us. So in this battle between death and life, please celebrate life. Just not the human life, but the life of Christ, the life of God. Try to unpack what it means for you. Yeah? And again, just as I said, good works attract people. We are all very, very concerned, and I am extremely concerned about bringing my faith to a watching world, to a majority non-Christian world where I live, etc. And done this now for long, and battled with it long. Now, of course, seeing incredible response, which was not there 30, 40 years ago. And now I can see that a lot of words does not do the trick. You with me? A lot of words does not do the trick. A light, a lot of life does it. A lot of life. That gives us the fruit and the impact. So now I say, when we get up in the morning, as I said when I began this message, let's go out from this Sunday. There is this diaspora network and all of us getting the... Let us go out into this crazy world, into this crazy America that you live in. You know, there are people tying, queuing to come into America. I am not queuing. <laughs> Man, I may have queued 30, 40 years ago, not no more. 
man, I don't want this. When Christians are fighting among themselves on politics, if I mention somebody I'm supporting or not supporting, they cuck. Social media strive. I mean, what on? And you think, hey, what on earth is happening to this wonderful, beautiful country that was once there? Well, I think the life of God has probably gone missing in this, in this country. So just getting something right. So what, what I say is, and I, and I close with this, is as we go from here and is get up, have a goal. Because Jesus gives life, right? Jesus is equal to God. Jesus did good. So we get up and we overwhelm our world with God's goodness and life. Overwhelm it. Bring so much life, bring so much goodness. Small, small things. Doesn't have to be very big things, small things. And I close with this devastating example. I, I was wondering, should I, speak? I, I don't like to end in a negative note, but when I say goodness, I'm not asking you to go and do some mighty miracles and part the Red Sea. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you about the ordinary things of life. What happens when somebody who's a prostitute who enters this church. Or even in our thing, I'm, you know, I have my, I'm conservative, so you know where I stand on, say, you know, we have a constitution which says marriage is between man and woman, so don't doubt me, okay? But when I made that clarification, if a gay couple walked in, knocked on the door of the church, how would we react? It's not, you don't have to agree. How would we react? And who knows what, what plan God has for that person or that couple? You and I don't know. So, church for the sake of others. One story and I close. And I always don't like, you know, I've been, I've been telling One young Indian in our pre-independence day was in South Africa. And he went into a Christian church, white Africans Christian church, tried to get in. Something had happened to him in the railway coach because of the apartheid system and he was already horrified. Then he tried to come into a Christian church and that church said, no, whites only. Who was that man? Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, boy, did he give us a time in India about us not living according to what Jesus said. So when I say go and overwhelm, I'm not saying big things. Any small thing that God is bringing into your life, go, go and do it. And may God bless you. I like the title of your diocese, Church for the Sake of Others. God bless you. Thank you. Before we uh, profess our faith in the Nicene Creed, would you mind praying for us yes, in the church? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, go ahead and you can have a uh, stand Can you up. all stand and raise your hands to this Jesus whom we believe? Lord Jesus, we thank you and we celebrate and we worship you together today. You are the one who did all good and all just things, and you continue to do all good and all just things. And wherever good and just things are going on in the world, whether it's done by Christians or non-Christians, you are there in your midst. That's our faith. And Jesus, we have no doubt 
that you changed eternal history when you became the God-man. Oh God, the dignity you have given us. And we grab hold of that divine dignity you have given each one of us as humans. Let us never forget to be human is the most valuable things in the eyes of God. And lastly, Lord, in the ways we are able, through the life you have given us, help us, help us to overwhelm this world with the life of Jesus. And bless this congregation, Lord. Encourage them, build them, and may they know that you are work at work around the world in the most difficult situations. In Jesus' name, amen.